Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's the fourth of November, 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. It's Friday. I don't know. You're allowed to do a little Friday chant if you want. Friday, Friday. But you know, if you work over the over the weekend, then I don't know. Friday is maybe like Wednesday for you. So I don't really know. Um, welcome. Today's growing your faith verse of the day is actually one of my um, go to verses. I think it's one of my mental go to verses, even if I don't um, speak it out into the world uh, as often as maybe I ought. But it is Romans chapter twelve, verse two. Do not be conformed to this world or do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Literally change the way you think. Literally let God change the way you think. Then you're going to be able to discern and know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So this uh, notion of conformity and, and what our minds are conformed to, It's not just about copying the behaviors or the customs of the world. It's recognizing that we swim in water, like, right, you swim in a particular cultural um, time and current, and the spirit of the age is, becomes then the spirit in which we live. It's just, so conformity to the character and the ways of God through the transforming of our minds, that's actually like what discipleship looks like over time. If discipleship is the lifelong learning that we do as the followers of Jesus, then the the transforming of our minds, the reconforming of our minds to the mind of Christ is the lifelong process of discipleship. So let me ask you this morning, what's on your mind? This is a just good average re- regular question that we might ask one another. What's on your mind? When I ask that of a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of shrugged shoulders and, you know, meh, I don't really know. Okay, well, if you're not thinking about what you're thinking about and you're not thinking about how you're thinking about what you're thinking about, I'm going to invite you today to start because that's what this verse is really about. Like, as Christians, we need to be thinking what we're thinking about. We need to be thinking about how we're thinking about the things we're thinking about. And we need to be consciously and conscientiously saying to the Holy Spirit that indwells us, hey, I am going to cooperate with you today. Please bring me, by one degree of glory into another, more into conformity with Christ. Less, less conformed to this world. Let my mind be transformed by the word of God and bring me into greater conformity with your will. That I might actually know the character and the ways of God and then I might walk in them. Thoughts lead to words lead to deeds. Um, and so we want to be in the Word of God, that the Word of God might be in us, bringing our minds into alignment with the mind of Christ, that we might develop and apply the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. We talk about that every day here on the show. So maybe just consider for a moment the ways in which you are conformed to the ways or the customs of the world. I recognize it's a little bit like asking a fish to look at the water they're swimming in, but just do it for a moment. 
Now, when you think about the customs of the world or what is customary, um, it's it's sometimes hard to recognize because, after all, it it is what is customary. It is what is, quote unquote, normal. So maybe think for a moment about visiting um, another country, a foreign country, or welcoming a foreigner into your home. That's a good opportunity to um, recognize the difference in our customs versus the customs of another person or another place. The same is true when we think about the customs or what has become customary for us in a particular variety of the Christian church. Um, Maybe you kneel, maybe you don't kneel, maybe you stand with hands raised, maybe you still have a printed bulletin, maybe you sing out of a hymnal, maybe you don't sing at all. Those are the customs of the community of faith where you gather, but the customs in a different variety of the Church of Jesus Christ might be somewhat different. In fact, I feel confident that they are. So when we think about the customs and we think about being transformed by the renewing of our minds, um, that's really what today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day is all about. So do you feel like you know God's will? And are you prepared to do it in the world today? If not, um, then let's, let's spend some time in the Word of God. Let's invite God to work by the power of His Holy Spirit within us to bring us today one degree closer, not to conformity with the world, but to conformity with Christ, who is obviously then going to not only know, but do the perfect will of the Father. All right, how do we walk our faith out into the world that God so loves? Well, that is called cultural engagement. And as Christians, it's who we are and what we're sent to do as co-missionaries and as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom. We're going to talk next with Bruce Ashford about how we do that. Every square inch, an introduction to cultural engagement for Christians. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Bruce Ashford is one of my um, favorite and go-to, I'm going to call him a cultural commentator. He's bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of the day, day in and day out, and he's back today. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Carmen. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me back again. I understand that you have a nice piece of lemon pound cake in front of you. You know, uh, there are not too many things I'm an expert on in the world, but how to start your morning is one of them. In my (laughs) humble but accurate opinion, two slices of iced lemon pound cake and a stout Mm. black coffee, that's the way to go. Do you make this um, lemon pound cake yourself? Oh, well, Carmen, please don't press me on things like that. It, it, oh, okay. no, I thought, no, I mean, I no. thought maybe we were going to learn about like some like secret culinary talent, like that you were like a secret baker. Okay. Okay. Uh, I won't press. Yeah. I won't no, press. No, no. No, you know, this happens to be a, a Harris Teeter special. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, for those of you who don't know, Harris Teeter is one of those really nice grocery stores that Kroger bought a while back. So there you go. Um, Let's talk about a book that you wrote a few years ago now, a handful of years ago. Well, I don't know. I don't have seven fingers, so it's not a handful. Seven years ago now. But it's such a good book, and um, it's a little bit like your Letters to an American Christian. Like I, There are so many things in this book, Every Square Inch, that I appreciate. And so I thought, you know what? Let's reach back and let's have Bruce unpack this afresh for us. So every square inch um, is not something that you and I came up with, although I make reference to it 
fairly frequently, and I don't give credit where credit is due. So talk with us about just the language of every square inch and then what you're trying to do here in terms of introducing cultural engagement to Christians. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, to all of my friends out in uh, Radio Land there in Minneapolis, St. Paul's, Fargo, and, and, and wherever you are, you know, I grew up with, uh, I had a, just a, a wonderful upbringing with uh, Christian parents who instilled in me, you know, that Jesus is Lord and, uh, you know, instilled in me a desire to, to show his, you know, his greatness, you know, and his goodness and to share the gospel with people. One thing I never felt equipped for, however, you know, in, in the churches that I was in and so forth, was to answer the question, well, how does Jesus, how does the gospel or how does Jesus's lordship relate to like all the things that I do outside of a church meeting or outside of like an interpersonal witnessing encounter? Like, why does Jesus matter in the workplace? You know, how do I relate him to, you know, my entertainment? How do I, you know, what does he have to do with art or science or politics or education or sports and competition or, you know, all of these things. And this book was an exploration of that because when I began teaching at the seminary, I realized that students had that question. And the answer in the title of this book is, uh, it's drawn from a quote by a famous Christian theologian who was also the prime minister of the Netherlands. His name is Abraham Kuyper. And he said, and I said it in Dutch, not English, but uh, let's let's not engage in the Dutch language today. But so in English, the translation would be, there is not one square inch of this universe over which the Lord Christ does not say it is mine. And, and so in this book, I tried to show how every square inch of the world and every square inch of our lives actually matters to God and, and how everything that we do relates in one way or another to Jesus. And then I tried to show how that's true in the arts and the sciences and politics and education and so forth. We're talking with uh, Dr. Bruce Ashford. We're talking about every square inch, an introduction to cultural engagement for Christians, um, which you can find at bruceashford.net. Um, one of the things that uh, that Bruce says in here <clears throat> um, is, is related to culture making. And I'm going to ask him next, what, what does it mean for Christians to make culture? And then what does it mean for us to engage in culture, which of course is going to require that we define culture. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Bruce Ashford, we're talking about um, his book, Every Square Inch, an introduction to cultural engagement for Christians. You can find it at bruceashford.net, as well as the latest things that Bruce is working on. So, um, Bruce, you talk with us uh, here in the book about Christians 
making culture or being culture makers. I want to talk with uh, I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about culture engagement and maybe the difference between engaging yep. culture and making culture. But maybe we should start with um, what is culture. Yeah. So, you know, when we use the word culture, we're talking about anything that uh, human beings have have created or made. You know, God created the world and that's creation. And then he created human beings to create and make other things. And so we've made art, we've made education, we've made music, we've made homes and kitchens and, uh, you know, businesses, and we've made political parties and we've made all kinds of things. And so that's what culture is. It's just a sort of like human made aspect of our lives. So that's what culture is. How do we make culture? When we look at, you know, when we look at the Genesis account, and, and if you're listening out here in radio land, this is really important. You know, we notice that when God created the world, he uh, created, for example, different kinds of animals, right? And in a sense, different kinds of people, male and female. So, and in the same way, if we, if we read, if we look at patterns in the Bible and patterns in the world, we can see that God created different types of culture. He created the world so that we would have art and music, so that we'd have science and technology, business and entrepreneurship, uh, uh, marriage and family. And so, um, so, so, so just by nature, you can't be a human unless you're a culture maker. I mean, this is what we do. Anytime you redesign your house, you're making culture. You know, anytime, you know, just everything that we do, we're, we're sort of uh, making something that's part of our environment. Anytime your business produces something. And that's what it means to, uh, to make culture. We're culture-making beings. Humans are. Uh, that's very empowering. I, I'm not sure that everyone thinks of themselves in that way. I think that we imagine that culture is just something that exists and we are powerless um, in relationship to it. We just have to take the culture that we get and we're just, you know, sort of stuck with the spirit of the age. And um, But this is very empowering. And we we are in the world to not only make a difference, but to make the world different. Um, and so... One of the things I like to say, um, Bruce, is, you know, if you look around and you don't like the harvest of unrighteousness that you see, then till the soil of the culture where you live, like till it up, dig it up, remove the rocks, plant the, you know, plant the seed of the word of God, um, water it with the living water, let your light shine before others that they see your good works and um, might be attracted to or interested in a conversation about God who is in heaven, like, right? Like, be the person that produces good fruit, even in the midst of, um, you know, a, a, a cultural day and time that's producing a lot of unrighteous fruit. Um, and then by, you know, by this, they're going to know who we are. They're going to recognize us because our our fruit's different, because there's real love um, among us and, and emanating um, out from us. So when you think of culture today and you think of these different spheres of influence in the culture, politics is the one that probably leaps most readily to mind in terms of um, culture engagement. Um, but when you use the term public square, I feel like there's a little bit um, – th- that word or that idea has developed pretty radically in the subsequent seven years. And now when we hear the word, quote-unquote, public square, a lot of people are talking about social media. Um, and so yeah. can you can you add social media into how Absolutely. we engage culture in the public square? 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, the digital public square, so to speak, Elon Musk is now talking about that. that Twitter is part of the digital public square. And so he should provide freedom of speech there, just like we have in the literal public square. Yeah. So the public square, I mean, that, that phrase now, you know, really just means that anywhere we have public interaction with other people and where we're dealing with matters of shared concern. And, you know, if you're out there, you know, in radio land, podcast land, um, you know, t- engaging culture seems like a huge thing and that we, we, we don't have much ability to influence the broader culture. And, and in a sense, that's right. You know, what can one person do to move the needle? But uh, to, I'll give you a couple of, we'll use social media as an example, and we'll use marriage and family in the home as an example. But, uh, you know, the Bible teaches that the, the most basic aspect of human culture is the home. And if you're a homemaker, and you're a full-time homemaker, or if you're not, if you've got a you know a career outside of the home, you're also a homemaker, whether you're a mother or a father, or or whatever. What you do with your home, the type of type of environment you create at your home, how you arrange the space inside of your home, what habits and patterns your family has, uh, whether it's having meals together, praying together, spending quality time together, this is a way that you make a major impact as a culture maker and cultural engager by being a, a good mother or father. I mean, that's very important. Then another important aspect now is social media. You know, um, we, we live in an age where anyone can publish their thoughts via Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube. And what we do on those media is very important. And, and the studies have shown that um, you know, across the world, but, uh, you know, I'm th- thinking specifically in the U.S., that for some reason, when we get behind the keyboard of a computer and we get to, ready to post something on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, all of a sudden we'll do and say things we would never do or say in person. Mm-hmm. Or we will speak with kind of a vitriol or a sharpness that we would rarely ever, if ever, use in an interpersonal conversation. I think when we talk about honoring the Lord Christ uh, in culture, a big part of that for us today is how we handle ourselves on social media. So, you know, Carmen, you're a radio host, and so you've got a, a large audience. But in a sense that everyone out here who's listening, if we have social media, we're kind of like a radio host in that we have our own public place where we sort of guide and shape our own contribution to the discussion. And so I think the encouragement will be for us before we type something into our Facebook page that we want to share about our political views or into our Twitter or anything that we do on Instagram that we ask, is this something that wouldn't, you know, am I honoring the Lord in a, not only in what I say, but in how I say it, how I portray it. Yeah, am I honoring Jesus and am I honoring Jesus in the way that I am approaching this? So it's not just content, but conduct. It's not just, um, it's not just, yeah, what I say, but how I'm saying it. I think that's actually very, very well said. Bruce, this book, um, this, yeah, this, this book, Every Square Inch, is a very, it's a very small, I mean, I would encourage you to. It's short, to, man. To, yeah. No, I love it. It's a short book and it is written for everyday Americans who love the Lord Jesus and want to know how can I put my faith to practice in my cultural activities. Yeah. Um, we have um, a listener who is a postal worker 
and um, he's already texted in this morning, and I'm not going to say where he is because I don't want to necessarily give all that away, right? But um, he uh, he's very he he's on this man, and so um, he's been sharing in this series of emails with me about how like he'll like he'll pray over a package that as the person opens it, it would just like somehow in some way like God would reveal Himself, and it would just God would sort of explode onto the scene of their life and. Um, you know, he's praying for folks as he's as he's driving down the road, the places where he is delivering mail and packages and the places where he's not. And like, right, that person, you know, God, even though they're not going to get something from somebody else today, let them get something from you. And I mean, it's just on and on and on. It's so, so wonderful. And so he's like my prime example right now of how a Christian is claiming every square inch of ground that he's covering um, and every piece of mail that he's touching. And he's praying for people by name um, and then, you know, by street and like, hey, let the Christians on this street be influencers to their neighbors. And so I think that when we start thinking about um, the ways in which God can use us where we are and whatever we're doing as ambassadors of his kingdom— um, we yes. start thinking differently about one another as well, in addition to thinking differently about ourselves. I guarantee you he carries himself differently because he's consciously thinking moment by moment about how he's an agent of God's grace in that space and place. You know, I, I, it's a beautiful example, actually, the uh, postal worker. And it reminds me of the serenity prayer. I like to to relate the serenity prayer to my cultural engagement. Serenity prayer says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can well, you know, what can, What do I have to accept when it comes to cultural engagement? I have to accept, I have to ask God for the serenity to accept that I can't change the fact that there are a large number of people in this country who hate evangelical Christianity and what we stand for. I can't change that. I can't mm. change the fact that our public square is something like a combination of a, a war, a ball game, a, a Hollywood movie, and a carnival. I mean, it's, 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 we, we can't change that. I was a columnist for Fox News Opinion for four years. I've been a columnist for other national outlets. I've been, you know, do 100, 200 radio shows a year. And I, I can't change any of that. And, you know, those are some positions of influence that I've had. And I don't really have the ability to to, to change the, the, the broader atmosphere. But the second line of the serenity prayer is what I think this, uh, it says, God, grant me the courage to change the things that I can. And as this guy said, who works uh, for the post office, it applies to the rest of us that whatever God has given us, whatever our workplace is, whatever our friend network is, you know, wh- wh- whatever our home life is, we do have the ability to change that. And so we take whatever it is that God's given us in life and we, we, we do those things in a way that honors the Lord. And if Christians as a whole across our country, you know, the hundred million evangelical Christians in our country, however many there are, I'm just ballparking it. If we were to all do that, imagine the positive influence we could exert on our society and culture. Amen. Amen. Bruce, as always, um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, You guys can read what Bruce is working on right now, but you can also uh, access the book, Every Square Inch, an introduction to cultural engagement for Christians at Bruce's website, bruceashford.net. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, when uh, Bruce referred to the serenity prayer, I thought, you know what? We ought to pull that up and we ought to read it in its entirety. 
Um, it is um, credited to Reinhold Niebuhr, um, who lived at the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen. We're going to um, talk next with our friend Daniel DeWitt. Um, we're going to catch up with him about how serious times call for laughter. Seriously. This makes me think of Bill Arnold, who always reminds us um, how important laughter is, particularly when things um, are grievous. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dan DeWitt is back. You can find what we're talking about today at theolatte.com. And don't miss the initial episode of Mere Caffeination. It's uh, Dan's new podcast and the first episode dropped on Halloween. So, hey, Dan, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. All right. So how was the first episode, Screwtape and Sam Alberry? We had a blast, and I've been told I overproduced it. I have too much music in it, but I, I wanted it to feel happy, so I have a lot of Charlie Brown music in it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about happiness. Um, you have a piece up right now at theolatte.com, Serious Times Call for Laughter. Seriously, you're, um, um, you're unpacking here some things that G.K. Chesterton said about laughter. But let me just start with this. When's the last time you had a good laugh? Me personally, or are you asking it rhetorically of the audience? Well, I can ask it rhetorically of the audience, and then I can, and then I can turn the question to you personally. Because I, when I typed that question this morning, I then thought to myself, if Dan asked me that question back, I'm going to be hard-pressed to answer it. Like, and that made me a little bit sad. It made me a little bit sad to think, like, I can't really remember the last time that I, like, the kind of laughter where your cheeks hurt and you you get a little bit of like, mm -hmm. oh, I have to stop laughing because otherwise my belly's going to hurt too. Like, I'm not sure I can remember the last time I hardcore laughed. Well, it's like the ugly cry. So the ugly laugh <laughs> is something we all, like, recognize. Like, I'm laughing so hard. I, you know, it's not overly like appealing properly, but those are, the, you know, that's what, what Chesterton says in his essay is that that's self, kind of self-forgetfulness is mm -hmm. far closer to humility than a lot of other experiences we have. So well, the last time I had a good belly laugh. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you might consider following a Twitter account, Chunky Animals, and it's all about <laughs> overweight um, pets. And my daughter and I will look at that sometimes. And some of them will make us just, you know, roll over laughing. So <laughs> it's good. 
Um, share with us a little bit about um, what Chesterton said, because I appreciated this um, this idea that there's there's so many advantages to laughing over mere smiling. Yeah, so a smile often can be a bit suspicious. And so a smile, Chesterton had um, gave three reasons why a laugh is better than a smile. So the first reason is the smile can easily turn into a sneer. Um, however, it's hard to have a true laugh, he said, um, with malicious intent. Now, you could think about like kind of the malevolent laugh um, where it's like the bad person. But a true laugh, it's hard for that to be covering something up. Usually that's you know in response to something that genuinely gets to you. The second reason Chesterton said that uh, laughter is better than smiling um, is that an individual can be secretive with a smile, but a laugh is something that is contagious. So it's not hiding a secret. It's actually revealing to the world that you found something that really has gotten to you. And then the third thing, Chesterton said, laughing is innocent and it's unguarded. And as I mentioned earlier, it comes closer to he- true humility and it makes us more vulnerable. Um, the the people you laugh with, like true laugh, are people you usually feel comfortable with. And people you laugh with, um, that's a great way if you're developing a friendship. As I, a mentor of mine would always say, if you want to have influence, you need to never eat alone and never travel alone. Because those are kind of the unguarded moments where if you think about probably the last time you had a good laugh with someone could have been on a car trip or over a meal. And if you really want to build relationships and if you really want to laugh, those are the kind of context where that takes place. That or with chunky animals. Well, and that too. <laughs> but so if I could read, so Chesterton in Orthodoxy makes this powerful statement. He says, quote, man is more himself. Man is more manlike when joy is the fundamental thing in him and grief the superficial. Melancholy should be an innocent interlude, a tender fugitive frame of mind. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. Pessimism is at best an emotional half-holiday. Joy is the uproarious labor by which all things live, end quote. I'm thinking here, um, when you talk about, you know, we're being our truest self when joy is fundamental um, and grief superficial, um, I'm thinking here of people who seem to take an odd pleasure in being sad, that they've become they've become kind of prideful in their sadness in their mm-hmm. like that's the and I'm wondering Dan if we have come to the place where we imagine that picking up my cross every day and carrying it means I am a person who appears to be weighed and burdened down um instead of a person um who in Christ has victory in Christ um who is no longer weighed down by the power of sin um a person who you know, recognizes that every single day I won the Mega Millions because I am in Christ and my inheritance is, uh, I mean, I, yeah, uh, is beyond comparing to um, anything that the world might offer. I, I think that when Christians fail to live in the joy of our salvation and we buy into this, um, I mean, this this fallacy that there's a, that there should be this sadness about things. Um, We're not living as people who are making uh, the kingdom very attractive to others. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think, of course, there's always that balance, you know, between someone who 
is struggling with something that might be diagnosed as depression versus someone who just refuses to let um, the joy of life actually be something they perhaps, as you mentioned, see it as a virtue to not be joyful. And so across the spectrum of different personality types and then physiological challenges, in the midst of all that, the Christians should still have a sense of joy that permeates their being. And that's what Chesterton, I think, is calling us to, not a contrived happiness, not the person who always tries to be bubbly or whatever. You don't have to have that personality, although those people can be fun, um, but rather this sincere joy that pulls us out of ourselves. And I think it's true. We're going I'm going through screw tape, as you mentioned earlier in the, the um, new podcast, that a lot of what happens with temptation um, and a lot of what happens with our own personal struggles is it pulls us deeper into ourselves. And when we do that, we become more paranoid of others and we become more sensitive to how they hurt us and we become less sensitive to how we hurt them. And what Chesterton's saying is laughter is going to be one of those things that pulls us out of ourselves. And so if I could quote another inkling, Tolkien talked about this joy that we find in Christ, and he used the word eucatastrophe, which is a unique word to him. And of course, Tolkien created, goodness, tons of languages for all of his stories, um, but the word means a good catastrophe, and that Jesus, the birth of Jesus is the good catastrophe. So he says it this way, the birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. This story begins and ends in joy. It has preeminently the inner consistency of reality. There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true, and none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. So this eucatastrophe should change the way we live and should lead at times, as Chesterton reminds us, to laughter. I love that. Um, I'm thinking that um, that's one of the things that, oh, um, yeah, his his name has just fled my mind. Um, he's both a musician and he does the thing at Christmas with the... Um, Andrew Peterson? Yes, thank you. Oh, my goodness. He talks about eucatastrophe. It's one of his favorite words. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so thank you. Whew. Yeah, you bailed me out there. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. Um, Dan DeWitt and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Um, we're going to talk uh, here about atheism. Is atheism something that's just on the lip or is it in the heart? Mm-hmm. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of what we do on live radio every day. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Right now, we're inviting you to share your Faith Radio story. What do you love about Faith Radio? What do you love about Mornings with Carmen? How has this program changed the way you think or the way you live, the way you engage others in the conversations of the day? We really do want to hear from you. Your story could encourage someone else and certainly glorify God. So share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leave us a message today. Again, thanks for listening. The Nazarene could hunger and the Nazarene could cry And he could laugh with all the fullness of his heart Hey, thank you to those of you um, texting in this morning on the text line. Remember, you can communicate with me during the show, 
84. Thank you for the person bearing witness and testimony to the um, course you took um, about laughter and grief, navigating grief um, Mm. with humor with uh, Dr. Melissa Mork here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul a couple of years ago um, online. And so um, thank you. Thank you for that witness and testimony and the power of humor um, in in dealing with with the things that grieve us. Um, thank you for that. Uh, talk with us, Dan. We're talking with Dan DeWitt and everything that we're talking about today, you can find uh, at theolatte.com. This uh, piece is, well, it's about atheism or maybe it's not. Atheism in the lip, not the heart. What are you, what are you getting at here? Well, there's a quote that I love from Francis Bacon and I've used the quote before. Francis Bacon was a philosopher Um, in the 16th and 17th centuries, an English philosopher. And he has a quote that a little philosophy inclineth men's minds to atheism, but much study in philosophy inclineth men's minds to religion. And which is a powerful quote because he's saying, you know, kind of on a superficial level, if you think deeply about these issues, it could lead you to atheism. And in a lot of ways, he's empathizing with that position. However, he goes on to say, but if you're going to study them in depth at all, it's going to have the reverse effect. It's going to turn your mind towards um, towards faith. And so in looking into that quote, I went back to read Francis Bacon's essay, um, where this quote's found from, which is just for those listening, you know, anyone who's done some research or you get interested in something and start digging into an author, you know that if you read the first um, original source material, it's always so much better than just reading someone quoting from it. So I went back to Bacon and I read this essay and found in it that he gives four reasons for atheism. And in this essay, he says that eight, there are no true atheists. And that's a claim that a lot of Christian apologists make. In fact, where I teach, we just had a chapel speaker who was quite emphatic on that point. And I would want to say, I agree with them. I think that God has hardwired into us the innate belief that he exists. And that's a belief that has to be conditioned to be ignored. And so, in other words, um, unless you condition it, you're going to naturally respond to it. Um, The Apostle Paul says, not that we condition it, but that we suppress it because we don't want to follow it where it leads. So the four things he says are the reasons for atheism, even though he says it's on the lip and not in the heart. Um, The four reasons are, and this is so relevant for our day, The first reason, and this is, again, written in the 16th and 17th centuries, a lack of unity among Christians. Second, scandals by religious leaders. Third, kind of the secular moment that it's okay now to make fun of religious things. And then finally, um, Bacon said the prosperity that they were experiencing at that time, which our time would look even better than what he was experiencing, um, that that made people not have to think about important issues. So I think those are four issues that are still facing us today and still leading a lot of people to walk away or deconstruct their faith. When I think about um, the challenges that I feel like are on the horizon, and this is, you know, this is going to, this is going to be the, as Carmen looks um, toward the edge of things right now, uh, she sees a gathering storm. Maybe that's the way I will describe Mm it. Uh, Jim Dennison, you know, talks about it as the coming tsunami. But mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm not sure, Dan, that, um, that people who have a, a fairly casual relationship with God, um, they, they have a, a kind of um, civic religion 
but who don't mm-hmm. have an operating um, relationship with God, I feel like the things that you just talked about that you're identifying there um, will also be the reasons that they that they curse God when things get mm-hmm. really difficult. Um, and I think things are about to get really difficult across the board. Well, and again, that's where the deeper issues of our heart are going to come out, right? Mm-hmm. So Chesterton's mm-hmm. saying if for with true, sincere faith, there's a sense in which um, it w- life draws out of us who we are. We have this deep joy, even though we have all kinds of struggles, right? And so I think you're right that when challenges come, we're going to see um, what we actually believe. And hopefully for a lot of people to realize, you know, I, maybe I don't believe in God. Maybe I don't. And hopefully the, the goal would be there would be a, a sense of godly judgment that would come with that, a recognition. I, I actually don't know God and I want to. And what, what I think you're predicting is there's going to be a lot of people who are like, I actually don't believe this. And I don't want to believe it. But in either case, you know, we should thank God for some level of awareness, right? But the danger of spiritual blindness is not that it's awareness to reality. It's that it's a blindness to reality. I mean, I just preached on Jesus healing the blind man. And you have this powerful scene where the religious leaders, um, Jesus said that he came to give sight to the blind. um, But but those that there are many people who are still blind and they respond to Jesus, are we blind? And of course, most mm. of them walk away and reject Jesus. So the great danger is if you're spiritually blind, you don't know it. And I, I have a sister who's deaf and blind, and she's very aware of her physical challenges. But the sad thing is, if you're spiritually blind, you don't even know it. Yeah. Um, uh, lots of folks <laughs> texting in Jordan Peterson. Um, what we don't know is actually far more important than what we think we do know. Um, yeah, there's a, it's interesting, right? How, um, how particular things that we say or make reference to, um, are sticky for people because of things that they have heard or seen or witnessed, um, or read. Uh, I, I have been, um, This is not new. Now that I've researched it a little bit, this is not new, but it was kind of new to me, Dan. People who are, quote unquote, atheists, um, who are saying, well, the only difference between me and you is I believe in one less God than you do. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's apparently not a new argument, but it's like it, it seems to be finding fresh feet in the culture today. Yeah. And, I, you know, the, the challenge with it is it makes it sound like that there's um, we have far more in common. I would actually go the opposite way and say, you know, we actually do have a lot in common. And it's not the fact that I believe in a God and you don't. I mean, the fact that I believe in one God means that I share in common with a lot of people, not just Christians, a monotheistic outlook. And so to try and brush that aside as a trivial difference is not a meaningful argument. But you do hear that a lot. Um, you know, I just believe in one less God than you. And what they're trying to say is you reject all these other gods. Um, therefore, you should just reject one more. But the difference between monotheism and atheism is substantial. It can't be trivialized. However, I would say, you know, we do share a lot in common in that we're both living life based on faith. You have a faith commitment that the material world is all that exists. You can't prove that. That's not a scientific view. Um, that's not something that's the outcome of a scientific investigation. That's an assumption you make about the world. And so the question is, at the end of the day, it's not, you know, sound bites we might exchange, but rather, which is true? 
And as Tolkien said in his Eucatastrophe quote, that there's something about Eucatastrophe that, that corresponds to what we know about reality, um, that it has the, as Tolkien said, the inner consistency of reality. What is it that tells us there's something there's something wrong in the world, right? Like the, the world has all the evidence, as C.S. Lewis said, of a good thing gone bad. Where does that come from? And then where does this stubborn optimism, the stubborn human optimism come from? And I would argue it's the Christian view that has this inner consistency of reality. It connects with what we know to be true, as Bacon's getting at in his essay, that deep down, as King Solomon said, and I love to quote this, God has placed eternity in our hearts. Amen. Amen. Dan, as always, thank you so much. You guys should check out uh, the Worldview Reader posted at Theolatte.com. One of the articles there I found particularly intriguing is about robots. Here's the good news. (laughs) There are some things that they still need humans to do. Mm -hmm. So that was good. We haven't made ourselves completely obsolete. That was a good good news piece. Um, Dan, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Carmen. Take care. Absolutely. That's Dan DeWitt. You ought to be reading uh, theolatte.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So many um, places and spaces where um, we need to be praying today and praying the news. And so you're going to encounter some headlines today and you're going to say to yourself, oh my God, how, how have we arrived at this place? How is it possible that anyone thought this was okay? Um, on its radio broadcast yesterday morning, <clears throat> while you and I were here doing what we do, National Public Radio, NPR, played audio of a woman undergoing an abortion, complete with the sounds of the machinery that were that was operating to not only end, but then extract um, her unborn child. Um, there is a lot going on in this audio. Um, the woman is from Michigan. Her identity is not revealed, um, but it was uh, shared that the child was at 11 weeks um, of development. Um, How did we get here? How did we get here? The piece um, concludes with the doctor telling the woman um, that the procedure is complete, um, followed by laughter and sighs of relief and words of, quote, moral support from others in the room. Let us be people who are lifting up prayers to a holy God, um, confessing the sin of our culture um, and the depravity in which we find ourselves. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.